Kills for Venture podcast introduction. Uh, I had the privilege and honor to introduce and and, and speak with Frank Fumick uh, tonight out of the Virginia area. Um, guy's an amazing dude. Uh, I'll let him tell his story, but just a quick quick intro. Um, got into ultra events for a good reason at 30 years of age. He's 55 now, and this dude is going stronger than ever. Um, just so you know, some things he's completed, uh, the ride across America, uh, 12-day bike race, he goes into that, um, the Arctic Ultra, uh, non-stop self-supported 350-mile foot race, uh, north of the Arctic Circle, Badwater 135, Leadville 100, UTMB, Comrades Marathon, 30-mile uh, uh, stand-up paddleboard in the ocean, western states, he's also uh, done the, four plan- or the Planet's Four Desert Series. Uh, about a million marathons, half Ironmans, Ironmans, triple anvil, triple anvil, DECA ultra triathlon, um, completed an ultra marathon on all seven continents, climbed the highest mountains on six of the seven continents, and he goes into the one that's still remaining, um, runs a business, has a family, uh, take him back up golf. This guy attacks life, and he shares some of his secrets. Um, the goal is just not to tell stories, but to help people learn and get some insight uh, from people doing some amazing things. Um, I think what sets Frank apart is not just that um, he's, a, he's a stud athlete because he can do all these things, uh, but his drive and will to finish um, and just his drive and will to finish everything that he starts is truly incredible. And so make sure you give it a listen. It's about 55 minutes. Um, I jacked up the ending, and so uh, I've talked to him, and he will be back on. I promise you that. So give it a listen to Frank Fumick on the Kills for Adventure podcast. Frank? Hey, Joe. Oh, my God, Frank. I'm a disaster, man. (laughs) Well, I'm the one that gave you the wrong number, so I think it's my fault. And then I jacked it up in my phone. Like, I should not be allowed to touch technology. What's that? I should not be allowed to touch technology whatsoever. Yeah, I'm with you there. I'm about as untech as they get, so no need to apologize to me. Hey, so I got yeah, like I I burned a lot of our time, so I don't want to take a, a, a ton of your time. No, no uh, I'm okay. So yeah. Let's let's jump in. I mean, I've been looking forward to this. First of all, like your last name, Frank, is it Fumic or Fumich? You know, it's actually Fumic, but you know, my I'm, my daughters are actually growing up with Fumich because I was tired of correcting people. So either one is fine. So so you got rid of it. Well, here's the deal, Frank. I found you on social media. Uh, a while ago, and I've been hearing about some of your tales and things like that. And okay. um, we share, like, I think we share a lot of the same passions. And so I'm back here in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. Uh, an exciting place, but I started this podcast. Mostly it was all about running because I do a lot of running. Oh, nice. But then I realized that there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of other cool things out there. And so I wanted to tap into them and hear what their secrets are and some of their not just their stories, but what makes them do uh, what they do. And so yeah, okay, you're like the biggest get ever for this show, man. Oh, uh, man. Well, but before nice we get into it, I like, yeah, there's so many things I want to talk about. But you just got back right from the South Pole. I did. I read I read someplace on your bio. It was three weeks in the planning. No, 10 years in the planning. Yeah. It was, it was a three week journey. Can you give us just a quick rundown? 
on on what it was like. I mean, that it's, it's extreme. And then I've seen your pictures on Facebook; it's even more extreme. <laughs> yeah. Well, the whole so the whole deal is, uh, God, for the last twenty some years, I've been slowly clawing away at the Explorer's Grand Slam, which is uh, the quest to climb the highest mountain on all seven continents and ski to both poles. And so as of today, I've done all of those except Mount Everest and the South Pole was, you know, one of the things next on the list. So you ski, <clears throat> obviously, under your own power, at least the last degree of latitude to the poles. And so we got dropped off. <clears throat> well, yeah, so I, I, I skied to the North Pole 10 years ago with two of my Aussie buddies, you know, I've got like sort of my regular friends that I play golf with. And then my, my extreme friends that I fly around to the far corners of the globe doing crazy stuff with. And so we did the North pole together and it took us 10 years to, uh, you know, sink our lives to the South pole. And, um, from, you know, leaving my house to getting back. Yeah. It was like three weeks, but, uh, the ski itself was about seven days. Um, and you fly from you while well, you fly down to Punta Arenas, Chile, that's sort of the jumping off point, um, of South America. And we flew into Union Glacier, Antarctica, which is basically a, uh, like a full tent city there in Antarctica run by ALE. And that's the jumping off point for all or many, uh, Antarctica adventures. Uh, you can climb Mount Vincent from there. They fly you out to base camp. And in our case, they flew us out in a turboprop and dropped us off at the um, 89th uh, degree. And then we skied the 70 miles or so to the South Pole, self-supported. Oh, my God. I mean, is it the same crew that you do a lot of these things with? Like, do you have your circle of buddies that you're like, hey, let's go? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a couple of them. And, and we made, met new guys, which will probably be my, you know, in addition to my crew going forward, you know, you spend a, a week in either a desert, you know, running through uh, some desert around the world that I've done and you become sort of blood brothers with these guys. And so it was on one of those desert races that I met my two Aussie buddies. And so, yeah, so we, we meet up and do these crazy things. I... Totally appreciate that. Okay, so let, let's back it up. You're 55, I'm 52. And so we're, okay. we're, we're about in the same ballpark there. Um, when did you get into, like, how did you get into this? Were you always like an, like an endurance athlete? Were you an athlete? No, not at all. I was a total non-runner. I mean, I was always a fairly decent athlete, you know, just coordination, played lots of recreational sports and a couple sports in high school, nothing beyond that point. Uh, but I... I didn't start running until I was 30 and my aunt was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. And I just wanted to do something out of my comfort zone that caused me some pain sort of to offer it up to her. And that's, I signed up for my first marathon, boom. And uh, from zero runner to a marathon in like two and a half months. And that's what began it all. <laughs> what, what was your first one? Uh, Marine Corps Marathon here in uh, D.C. I live, you know, right on the suburbs in McLean, Virginia. I've never run that one. But I heard really good things about it. So you, so 30 years old, you're done with college. You started your business career. You start marathon running and then yep. it, it, it had to explode because you've done 120 some marathons and half Ironmans and Ironmans. So what was the progression that you went through? 
So it happened pretty quickly. You know, I, I was never one to work up to something slowly and take baby steps. I pretty much just dove in head first. So I, I signed up for that. I did a marathon. It didn't immediately click. I mean, I went back to, you know, working in happy hours with my buddies and, and, but you know, the, the wheels were slowly spinning in my brain. When I finished that marathon, I was just sort of amazed and intrigued how the body or the, or the brain can make the body, you know, go on when it doesn't want to. And so I eventually signed up for another marathon, but then I, then I signed up for a, uh, I think I did an Ironman next, or I might've jumped into a 50 miler. And then, um, you know, I was just amazed and intrigued about how far you could push your body. And it was really something that I wanted to explore and, and sort of search for my limits. And so then I did a 50 miler, then I did a, then I did bad water. I'm not sure how much of uh, ultra marathons you're familiar with, but that's, you know, some people consider that one of the hardest races in the planet. So to go from a 50 mile, no name, 50 miler to uh, bad water is kind of crazy. And then I, uh, my first dip into the triathlon world, I jumped right into an Ironman and then I did, you know, then it just, then it just got crazy from there. Then I also, you know, I didn't want to just do explore running in ultra marathons. I wanted to try all endurance sports and see if I could basically do the hardest thing in every sport. So that's what I've spent the last 25 years exploring. Um, let, let's back it up for one second. Bad water. Yeah, I'm very familiar with uh, the ultra endurance part of it. Um, what year did you do bad water? Maybe 2004-ish. I mean, a long time ago. Yeah, right. Um, was it just as grueling as it's made out to be? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's super hot, crazy hot and miserable. Yeah. And, and you know, now it's much harder to get into. I wouldn't have even been allowed in now on my racing resume back in the day. But back then you basically did a 50 miler and you wrote an essay. And I think I donated a thousand dollars to challenge athletes foundation and they let me in. And it, it was, when I look back, it was kind of laughable of how clueless I was, but I, I managed to muscle through it and finish. Oh man, that's, that's amazing. Well, you did Leadville too. And I, 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 did, fa yeah. I failed at, I failed at Leadville once. Okay. Uh, me too. I failed my first time. Uh, and, and so, but then I get right after that, um, it, it's impossible for me to get back in because it's a it's a lottery and I have the worst luck in the world. But I keep oh right, so you haven't got it. Oh, is it a lottery now? Yeah, it's so tough nowadays. It's a bummer. It, it, it is a bummer. And so let's talk about like pushing it to the limit. Like uh, I got a good buddy back here. His name's Tom Volk, and his motto in life is do hard things. You know, yeah. he's the same same boat as us. Fifty some years old, do hard things and, and push your body to the limit. Now you're you're not like a like. And take don't take this the wrong way. You're not like a world class marathoner. No, totally. Yeah, that's what I, I. It's important to let people know I'm absolutely average guy. With totally uh, average, you, physical average. So what what allows you to do this then? Well, it, it's the mental aspect, and it's probably. I mean, it's there's a good bit of just sheer stubbornness, and just a refusal to quit. You know, I, I, I always say unless I mean, and it's not a great thing now that I'm married and have a family, but it, it's pretty much I would always say the only way I'm leaving the race is on a stretcher. Like, you know, I assume that you would just pass out before you just drop over dead. Right. Like I, I have no desire to run until I dropped over dead. But 
the body has some stop gaps and I, I was pretty sure that I would just pass out or like physically incapable of moving before I would ever just quit because I felt bad. Um, you're, you're right now you're chasing the world majors in marathons too, which, yeah. Um, like what's, what's your, what's your training like? <clears throat> well, now my training is, is pretty unorthodox just because I sort of feel like I can, I mean, at this point I can show up at a marathon untrained and just muscle through it. But I, and I pulled a ham, my hamstring in Berlin back in the fall. So, uh, for a while there, I, cause I was trying to finish out my 50 state marathons and I was running, you know, I mean, I ended up running like five and six days to finish it out. And so I was in pretty good running shape, but then I, you know, I got back to work and, and the summer ended and, um, and I, so I wasn't running too much, but I showed up at Berlin and I pulled my hamstring. So now I'm trying to run a little bit, but you know, I'm, I don't do anything crazy. I'm not on any kind of standard marathon program by any means. Hey, I which, just sort of keep busy. Which ones you do back in Nebraska? Um, Lincoln, Nebraska. You're going to embarrass me because I've done some, you know, they kind of blended together. I would have to look up, but I think it was in Lincoln. Is it, is it Lincoln? Yeah, they, um, have a, they have a Lincoln marathon in the spring. Yeah, I think that was it. Have you done a bunch in uh, Nebraska yourself? Oh, there's, oh, yeah, there's not, there's not a lot to choose from. There's one in Lincoln. That's a big one. Omaha. Uh, there's, yeah, there's, it was Lincoln, Lincoln Marathon, May, uh, of 2021 so pretty recently right there's a there's this resurging the one i like best in nebraska is a marathon called the sand hills marathon okay you ever heard of the sand hills no uh -uh. it is nothing like nebraska it's north central nebraska almost up to south dakota they got the niagara river runs up there and so you run like on a little asphalt road through a it's like a whole different world but they limit it uh to a small number and uh your uh porta potties are pulled by you know trucks along the road and uh, <laughs> right. you can get a water bottle from a cowboy out of a saddlebag. And so it's, that's uh, cool. It, I, I like, I go up there every year. It's a good group of people that do it. And so, um, yeah, that sounds fun. It, it, it's all right. <coughs> so here nice. you go, Frank, I'm going to, uh, when I put the podcast out, I'll share like your resume and things like that. But there's two things I really want to know. Like, what's your, why, like, why do you do this? Because you are at a point in your life where you could be spending you know, working obviously, but spending a lot of time on the golf course, relaxing, yeah. but you still seem to be hammered down on everything. Yeah, that's true. Well, the original why, it, it, you know, it's not deep and complicated. It's simply for the challenge. I, I always uh, strive for a challenge. I get bored without something looming down on me that makes me nervous. You know, I don't like feeling comfortable. I don't like, it, it makes me feel lazy. So I mean, I'm still trying to find my limits, although, you know, I'm running out of things to do, but even just marathons, you know, I like, I like the regimented life of knowing I have to keep in shape. And sometimes it gets a little too easy with all our modern day comforts to get soft and lazy. And I, I like a reason to keep in shape and keep pushing and trying to feel young and keeping at it. It makes me feel good. Do you see that philosophy in life going over to your business too? Do you run your business oh, the same way? Do you, do you run yeah, your business sure. the same way you run your body? Y yeah, pretty much. And, you know, a little bit, of, uh, you know, I'm not sure it's all totally healthy, you know, mentally, because I'm, I'm never satisfied. When I run a marathon, I'm always looking for the next one. I want to sign up for the next one. In my business, I'm never 
satisfied with my my three cities you know i want more i own an airline catering company so i'm always looking for more flights more business always want to every year i want to beat the year before so it's a little it's you know i i'm not i mean it's worked out fantastic for me in in every aspect of my life but i don't i wonder what it would feel like to be satisfied you know i mean that's that's something i'm not sure i'll feel because i'm always wanting the next thing um what do you think your next thing's going to be for uh i know you got the the world majors but what's your next big thing you're shooting for well the next really big thing is probably mount everest um i, I noticed that, i noticed that one wasn't on there yet <laughs> yeah that would be that would be pro- i mean the next big thing uh that's still going to take some negotiations because it's admittedly a selfish pursuit and i've got a family but yeah I, i'd be lying if i said that wasn't the next big thing <clears throat> um like i know like kilimanjaro that's not a technical climb but some of these others were technical climb. is there anything that scares you well all this it, it all scares me even the stuff i do scares me you know the ultra marathons scare me i half the time i would show up at a start line being like wow i'm i don't feel like i belong here yeah i'm always if you're if you're doing things that don't scare you you know you're not doing big enough things i always say so yeah i'm not i'm not afraid to admit that it all scares me but i mean I'm I'm not really a mountain climber, admittedly. I, I just I'm just a guy that climbs mountains. So yeah, I wouldn't go climb K two, the second highest mountain in the world, because it's way too technical and way too dangerous. I'm not a rock climber. You're not going to see me doing like free solo stuff, like Alex Hommel. You know I, that that stuff's not my thing. I'm and I'm not an adrenaline junkie. Lots of people think I'm adrenaline junkie, but the stuff I do is not really adrenaline based. It's just long, miserable slogging. Huh. So any timetable on Everest then? I'm, I'm shooting for maybe three years. I'm trying to balance letting my girls get a little bit older without having me get too old. But in about three years seems to be about right. Right. And then you just hook up with a guide service and figure it out from there? Yeah, basically. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. That's, that's incredible. Do you ever worry about like I always like worry about fighting father time. I do a pretty good job of fighting father time off. Like I, I love taking a little satisfaction, finishing something that somebody else can't, or maybe like when you tow the line of the race, you know, beating some of the younger kids and things like that. Do you, do you worry about father time at all? Well, sure. I mean, I did get kind of a late start to it at 30. I'm not sure when you started running and, um, yeah, I, we're definitely not getting any younger, and I do feel the aches and pains. But fortunately, I've got some—I think I got some pretty good genes. My grandmother lived to be 106, and so I think I've got—I've got time. But uh, yeah, it's, it's in the back of my mind. Um, who inspires you? Oh, who inspires me? I'm—I mean, I don't really follow like famous people that inspire me, but any average Joe's like when I'm running a marathon. It, the, the fast guys on an out and back that are blazing past me, those guys, I mean, I'm in all of them, but they don't really inspire me. I get inspired when I see, you know, the, the military vet that's missing a leg and he's just dragging it back there trying to finish or, you know, the, the overweight people that are just trying to power walk at the end of a marathon. Like when I see an average person out there really pushing it, I get goosebumps and get super fired up. One of the, things that I, I did a few years ago we were running and we were finishing a, a long training run and we came up and it was christmas time and we came up behind this red kettle run you know and, and i 
I, I I'm not like a world. I'm, not, I'm for sure not like a world class runner or anything like that. But I I can move still a little bit. Yeah. Um, but then we came up on this uh, 5K run that was going on for charity called the Red Kettle Run. You know, they're running money for the Salvation Army. Right. And I uh, just was in the back half of it, and I realized uh, that the perspective in life that I was missing, like in the the whole scene, was it doesn't matter if you're the front of the pack or the back of the pack, you're still a runner doing great things. Yeah, you know? that's and awesome. I was, and I was taken for granted, like what some people's goals were. Like, you know, I, I probably scoffed at it sometimes, but you know what? If their goal is a 5K and they go out and get it, you know, more power to them. You know? Yeah, I find exactly. that I find that stuff incredibly um, inspiring. Yeah, no, that's right. It's right along the lines with what I what I mentioned, and it's interesting because when I pulled my hamstring in Berlin, I mean, I, I you're, it sounds like you're. I have a feeling you're a faster guy than I am. My my PR is three twenty, but I usually like eke under four hours. I mean, sometimes if I'm in good shape and I'm, I, I'll drop like a three forty or something. But anyway. Usually I just try to eke under four and that's what I was going to do in Berlin and, and my hamstring popped at mile four. And so I had to walk and hobble and I finished the cutoff was six fifteen, and I finished in six thirteen. but I was back with, you know, the super slow people. And so I really got a chance because I couldn't go any faster, but I was phys- physically cardio wise. I was totally fine. And in my head, I wanted to sprint, but I just couldn't. So I was feeling good mentally and I was able to just look around at, at some of these people struggling and I was so motivated uh, you know I was so determined I am not gonna stop even if I have a pulled hamstring like look at these people totally giving it everything they got and so it was really an incredible moment even though it was a horrible marathon for me uh, right the worst marathon personally for you but like you you still you still enjoyed it I just got back from doing the Phoenix uh, the rock and roll half marathon down in Phoenix in January and if you've never done it, they have like a mile in there from like mile nine to 10. Um, this just lined like every 20 feet of a picture of a service, service person from Arizona that died in battle, you know, or died, okay. died serving their country. Yeah. And I will slow down and run that mile as my slowest mile because it's, yes. their, it's their families that are out there and they're cheering you on. And like, I'm like, we need to be the ones cheering them on. Because Dude, when, Joe, when, totally, totally. That at the Marine Corps Marathon, they have something called the Blue Mile, and it's out on a section that's normally lonely, and they like the exact same thing, except it's from servicemen and women that have died, uh, you know, from all over the cunt our country, and it's super sobering. And often I'll stop and literally walk, and I'll take out my camera and I'll film it and, and I'll share it, and just so people can get a feeling for what's really meaningful in life and not our marathon times but it's something i almost feel bad running running past right right i just hope like all these people that all the service people that have died and the families that support them these good causes that are going through i hope the runners never lose sight of that yeah and things like that one thing i'm impressed with it seems like everything that you do is tied into um, a charity or bring some sort of um uh, awareness to a cause. What are the, some, uh, what are the, some of the things that you've supported over the last 25 years? Oh, gee. Well, you know, I didn't, I didn't really start it. What started all was the Boston marathon bombings. And, and so that wasn't actually that long ago. And when that happens, I, I was just super angry about the whole thing. And uh, it's a long story, but I ended up running um, 78 point, 
what six or whatever three marathons is sort of in unison with the the three people that originally were killed in the blast and i raised um you know 26.2 dollars, and then we decided to run the money from dc to boston and raise more and we for the victims and we end up raising the like 80 some thousand so that's what started it all and then uh then i raised money for a young man that went to my college years after i did that was jumped in a parking lot and beaten up and he was left in a vegetative state and raised um $105,000 for him when I biked across the country and raised money for a number of kids uh, battling cancer. Um, I, you know, ran 350 miles in the Canadian Arctic for a little boy, Jack Rollins, who had cancer. And uh, yeah, the list kind of goes on like that. Mainly it's little kids with cancer because my nephew had it and beat it, thank God. But uh, really heartbreaking to to learn of the kids that don't make it. And so um, that's, that's kind of my hits my heart the most and really gives meaning to running that is normally just kind of a selfish pursuit. So uh, it's really kind of a, a special thing to run for a cause, so, something bigger than yourself. And let's back up because you, you, I think you hit on something that I don't think a lot of runners realize like running and it, your long adventures you know that you don't want and things like that it really is a selfish pursuit totally in, in a way because it takes away time and there's like only so much time um in the world and so like how do you balance your time out because here you have a company you are a husband you're a father um and you're an athlete how do you balance your day it's not easy. I wish there were more hours in a day. At, at this point, for years and years, I worked hands-on in my business. I was always there. It, since I, maybe the last five years, it's gotten to a point where I can step out more. I have managers in each of my cities. Whereas, you know, six years ago, I was the hands-on manager here in D.C. And that, that's enabled me to, I, I probably couldn't do what I'm doing now, these long expeditions, if I was... I had to be at work every morning. So it's just like the natural progression of my business. I'm able to have the manpower to hold the fort. But, you know, when I also with family, it, it's a huge time sucker. And I, I try to like for this South Pole trip, you know, we took a, a wonderful family vacation in Morocco after Christmas. So I try to do a big adventure and then have a nice family vacation before I go and do something else. I. Uh your daughters, they, I know they're not uh, going to go out and do the big adventures, but do they share your passion for outdoors and doing hard things? Uh, no, not necessarily. The hard, the hard thing, Gene, hasn't hit them yet. But one of them is, a, is, is kind of a, a young budding runner that's really gotten some pretty good 5K times and seems to enjoy it. And we do some family hiking, but if, if I'm being honest, it's more uh, cajoling to get them going. Once we get them started, they enjoy it, but they're not, they're not dying to go out there and get crazy just quite yet. <laughs> not, that's good. Um, and you must have the most supportive wife in the world. <laughs> yes, that goes without, be, without being said. I do. That was awesome. And when, you, and, when you, and when you come back from a trip with your with a black thumb, it, it doesn't go over very well. <laughs> okay, now some of these events I want to I want to talk about. So let's uh, visit quickly going back to the South Pole again. Okay. Like, as physical demanding goes, how tough was it? And then it was, did you lose well, a lot of ahead. weight? I, I I still can't wrap my head around 
skiing to the South Pole. I, I, pro- I probably did lose about 10 pounds. It wasn't incredibly physically demanding, no. But the altitude, it was, it was 10,000 plus feet, but it was an effective altitude, feeling like about 12,000 plus. And when you go from sea level and you're basically just dropped off there and you start pulling a sled, it actually affected me. And so it, the first three days were pretty miserable because I just didn't feel well. And it was, you know, minus 30 degrees and we had to pull a sled. So um, there, it was mostly the cold that made it pretty difficult. It, it wasn't that hard pulling a sled 10 miles a day. Although, I mean, it wasn't easy, but it, but it wasn't the most difficult thing I've done. Was it, did you get, were you ever warm? <laughs> Like I would very be scared, rarely. I'd be scared that I would start sweating. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I'm a sweater, which is horrible in cold weather events. So I was either freezing. I would go past the, the a comfortable temperature in like five minutes, and then I would go into the overheating. So I was either freezing or overheating in freezing weather, basically. Right. That would be no good. And I think the other thing that would be tough, it's not like – for me, I don't think this, I don't view the South Pole as like this beautiful scenic, like scenic thing. Yeah. I, I, I look well, at, you, no, I, how, <laughs> how is it mental grind on that? You're exactly correct. You, the, you know, the North Pole was actually pretty cool because it's frozen ocean. And, and when the currents change, it pushes the ice together. So it forms these like super beautiful and cool pressure ridges with massive chunks of blue ice. And sometimes you had open water and we saw a seal and, in the South Pole, it was absolutely featureless. Like literally, if you saw seven seconds of it, you saw seven days of it. There was absolutely, there wasn't a living animal, not a bird, and no features whatsoever. And all we did was basically get in a single file line, and we were cross-country skiing, staring at the sled of the guy in front of us for, you know, eight hours a day. So it was super, and I didn't have any kind of earbuds or music. And so you're just slugging along with nothing to look at and trying to occupy your brain to pass the time. So it, it was pretty mentally challenging and super boring, if I'm being honest. Right. So in this crew that you went with, these are like your normal adventure buddies? Yeah, a couple of them. Were, yeah, three of them were. And then the rest were all new guys we met. But they all were like super great guys and we got along great. But and they all had the same mindset. So you know that you're going to get along pretty well with them. Okay. Now you got back, you finished. I, I, I remember one. I can't believe everyone finished. You finished your thumb frostbitten. I know there's been some stuff in the media about it. I know you're back at the doctor today. What's the status of that? Um, I, the doctor still thinks that it's probably going to be okay with no to minimal tissue loss, but you know, they're not totally, they can't swear to it. So I actually called to get a second opinion today. And, you know, there's things I can do like lay in a hyperbaric chamber to uh, increase the increased pressure promotes blood flow. And there's like a ganglion block I could do. So I'm, I'm kind of mulling those over. I'm re- really going to give it like a couple more days to see if I turn a corner because it's still kind of gnarly looking and it, it hurts like hell. It's still throbbing. So I might wait two days and, and decide to do one of these other things. Well, we're praying for you. I want that thumb to be okay. <laughs> be, I appreciate it. That'd be good. All right, really quick. Race across America, uh, your bike race. What year was that? Um, race across America, 
the one well i tried it twice i dnf the first time which was about six years ago okay when you get a dnf when you could you dnf you just like sign right back up no it took me a year to decompress and recover from that because that, that was like the most miserable experience of my life. And so it took a year to get the courage to sign back up. And then, so two years later, I, I did it again and I, and I finished the second time. Can you tell me a little bit about the, about the race or what it all entails? So you bike from Oceanside, California to Annapolis, Maryland, and you got to do it in 12 days. And it's basically nonstop. The clock starts when the race starts and ends 12 days later. And, you know, you bike through 12 states. I think you climb maybe 200,000 feet of elevation. You go through the desert, over the Rocky Mountains, across the plains and over the Appalachians. And it's a totally insane. And it's definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. That, that's, your, that's the hardest event you've ever done. For sure, especially because I'm not a cyclist per se, and I've, I've probably cycled like four times in, in the few years that I did it. So, by far the hardest. But I mean, you're talking about cycling 20 plus hours a day, resting for just a couple hours, and getting back out there and doing that again for 12 days straight. So the power and energy output is is just insane. The first year uh, that you DNF, where where'd you DNF? Is it West Virginia. Oh, you made it that far. I didn't make it that far. Yeah, I, I, I had horrendous saddle sores where I could basically no longer sit down. And I got to the point where I was behind on the clock and there was also no way I was going to finish time wise. So, yeah, I, I, I waved the white flag. Are you just out there by yourself then all day or do the people? Join no, you? no. You, you have um, your own crew. So you have to have an RV that sort of um, hops over, you know, that RV would basically go ahead 20 miles and then you have a chase vehicle that it's either is right behind you at night and then leapfrogs you during the day so and you know i, ha I had like 10 or 11 friends that um, were on my crew so it's a full even though i did solo it's still like a team event i mean you can't do you can't survive without your crew they're basically bathing me and rubbing numbing cream on places that I'd never want to admit and <laughs> feeding me. And yeah, I mean, you're just like a, a, a big baby that can't, can only pedal and really can't function doing anything else the whole time. <clears throat> it, it sounds fun. No. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> so, so I highly it, recommend it. Not. Right. So I it mean, took, it took you a year to get it shaken out of your system. I'm sure you did uh, other things during the course of that year. And I get that. Like when I failed at Leadville, you know, I wanted, I wanted to jump back in it right away. So I tried another one, but I think in a way it ruined me for a little while because it, yeah. it, it physically broke me out there. Yeah. And it's always tough to get it going. Like I was scared to hurt that much again. Yeah. It's a lot of pain to go through, especially you're right. When, especially when you know what the, it's one thing going in dumb and not even knowing what you're getting into, but to go through that kind of pain and then and sign up for it again is not easy. So what was the difference between the first year and the second year then? Well, I took it a lot more seriously. I mean, I, I, it wasn't that I didn't take it seriously, but I got a lot more educated in cycling. The first year I had like horrible cheap bike shorts. And so that's why I had such horrible style sores. So this time I spent the money and, you know, I had like six pairs of $350 bike shorts and uh, I had a better bike and um you know better nutrition uh, better really better everything 
as far as biking goes, as a, as a, with a runner's background, I was always a little bit like eh, biking. You know, I've done like the bike ride across Nebraska before and things like that. But this last couple of years, I've really gotten into riding and I have the utmost respect for cyclists. That's just something I'm not uh-huh. very, something I'm not very good at, number one. Um, but good cyclists, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you because I still don't consider myself a cyclist. And they are hardcore. I mean, even now in the winter here, I see well, my street seems to be like a cycling little loop. And they're always cruising by and they're, they're wearing their winter gear. I mean, you know, it's like 30 degrees out. There's no way I'm getting on my bike. And, but they are hardcore. Right. I just have an un, it's not an unhealthy. It's just a, it's a very strong fear of falling, whether I'm running or especially riding a bike that I do not want to risk. Yeah, and I hate being being cold too. (laughs) Yeah, there were times in Ram where I was literally bombing a hill in Colorado, doing like forty-five miles an hour, thinking to myself, "If, uh, if you know, in the middle of the night, like if an elk runs out in front of the road here, I'm I'm a total dead man, totally dead." So, or if I hit a rock, you know, you're falling asleep on a bike doing forty downhill in the middle of the night. It's totally insane. Um, Comrades Marathon. Yep, done up and down years. So for my listeners who don't know uh, about it, can you just a quick history about it? Tell us about your experience. Well, I think it's the oldest ultra marathon in the world. And I I don't know when it started, but one year, uh, you know, it starts in what, Johannesburg? And I forget even the name of the the other city. Maybe you know. But, But one year is up, predominantly up, and the following year is downhill. And lots of people think the uphill's better but adapt for people that aren't runners or don't really know downhill hurts your legs way more than uphill does so um, the downhill was super difficult and the thing is to do it two years in a row so that you do the up year and the down here then you get the extra medal for doing the back-to-back so myself and a couple of my um my aussie buddies we did that so that was a lot of fun um is I, I know I'm sorry I'm all over the place. This is the way I this is the way I No, am. it's all right, it's great. Um that, that's that's awesome to finish that one. When you go through your daily life, um how healthy are you? Are you a clean eater? No, unfortunately, I'm like the worst eater, so it's a little bit you uh, might be the second believe. worst eater, but okay. Oh, you you have me beat, really. I I'd I'd be willing to swap menus and see who's the worst, but it is it is not good. I mean, my wife is like, imagine what you could do if you were actually even partially healthy eater. And she's right. I, I'm like a pizza and hamburger, cheeseburger and French fry and Coke guy. It's awful. Right. I'm, I'm right there with you. Pizza, tacos, give it to me. Oh, yeah. All day. Yeah. Every day. And then <laughs> I, I should do a better job of shying away from the post-beer race or the post-beer. Uh... But you can't do that. Then no. you wouldn't be any fun. No, <laughs> my, my buddies would yell at me and it'd be a whole big mess. Right. Where's the balance in that? You got to have a beer after a marathon. <laughs> right. 100%. Okay. So what does the rest of 2023 look like for you? Actually, 2023 is looking a little bit tame, all things considered. I mean, I ran a million marathons last year trying to finish up the States. This one, I have uh, Tokyo in a month. And being in the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. area, there's tons of local marathons. So really, I just plan on showing up at quite a few of those to stay in shape. Uh, As far as the whole Mount Everest and mountain things, there's seven summits, but there's a little bit of argue on on one of them, whether it's 
on in the one in Australia, which is kind of a walk up or another one in New Guinea, Papua New Guinea. So lots of people that want to do seven will just do the eight and that's me included. And so I'm, but right now that mountain is closed due to political strife in Papua New Guinea. If that clears up, I would potentially like to do that this fall. But other than that, it's really just marathons to stay in shape. If, if it does not clear up, I'm going to throw this out there. If you're interested, we're going, if you may, you might've done it before. Have you done rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon? Yes, a few times. Right. You guys so, are doing that. Right. Well, I did it a couple of years ago, but we're taking right. a crew, we're taking another crew down there just for the heck of it. My sister um, lives out in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Okay. One of the guys, uh, people in her run community, uh, he started training for marathons a few years ago and um, ended up qualifying for Boston and whatnot, got back from that. Yeah. Uh, found out he had like stage four colon cancer. Oh, no. And so, uh, but you know what? He's a dude that kind of reminds me of you a little bit. He took the worst negative and made it into a positive, kept training and did Boston again, Chicago, started oh, the, found, started the foundation him. where he's like raising awareness for uh, uh, colonoscopies. Uh, and so I think he's going to join us hopefully on this trip. And, uh, oh, that's all. When are you guys going to go? Uh, we're going to probably swing down there in September, third week in September, uh, maybe. Uh, okay. And when two years ago, did you do fall or spring? Because I did it two years ago as well. Um, you know what? We did it. It was probably three years ago, I think. And we oh, went, okay. Okay. Uh, we did the we did the spring, and uh, I we I wanted I want to go back to enjoy it. Like the group I was with, we were just we were hammered down the whole day. Oh, man. We were, so how long did it take you when you hammered it? Oh, I think we were like 18 or 19 hours. Okay. So All we, right. We were, we were moving. There's another group from Nebraska that we knew that went down week before, two weeks before, that we want to slide down and beat their time. So. Oh, that's cool. I think, I think I've done it around the 15-hour mark both times I did it. Uh, the, the the third time was actually rim to rim, and we spent the night and did it back. So the, I've only done two true rim to rim to rims. Right. It's, it's truly one of my it, favorite events. It'll, yeah, it'll, that is not easy, man. That is tough. It'll push you. It'll push you. Um, so, so Frank, when you, when you're talking to people and I think you do some public speaking, like there, there's two types of people, like number one, like for the endurance athlete, who's just getting into it, whether you're a 5k runner or a marathon runner, what advice would you give them? Well, one thing, I don't know about 5k, but when people mention they want to do their first marathon, but they just, they, they don't have time. They, it's not, or it's not the right time. Uh, I tell people that you can always make time and, and you don't, first of all, there's never going to be a right time. It's all, if you want it bad enough, you'll, you'll make time. And I often tell people don't overthink it, debate whether you should do it. Just sign up, take a deep breath, sign up and then stick it on your calendar and then you'll find a way to make it happen. And, and you don't need 12 months to train for a marathon, for, you know, as an example, everyone thinks they need to train forever and give up so much time. You can train very smart and not run maximum hours and you're very capable of running a marathon. So those are the couple of things I mentioned to people that just think it's, they, they can't do it. They don't have time. Right. When, when, when we talk about time, and like, I think you and I view it the same. I, I think we might view it the same. Like our time is shrinking. <laughs> like, quickly, right. Like quickly, because, you know, like, yeah, I, maybe you'll probably be able to climb a mountain at 90 or, or whatever. Um, but I think you're right. I forget who said it. It's not that you don't have time. It's just not a priority. Right. 
And yeah, so, or just do it. You know, the, the Nike slogan, that, that sums it up pretty easily. Just do it. Cause do, and do it now. And I think that goes for anything. Sign up for anything. Because I suppose you could have sat back on this South Pole trip and pushed it off another year. Or, Easily. Or, or another yeah. year. Yeah, sure. And even the marathons, you know, I, 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 I was trying to get them all in. And I was running short on Alaska. And this was spring. And I had it in my head that I just wanted to finish them all before summertime. Just because I wanted to get them done. And I wanted to relax and not be thinking about one or two remaining. So I ended up, my 50 states was marathons or longer. And Alaska, I ended up doing a 50K in February because that was my only option if I wanted to get them done now, you know, before, quote unquote, now before the, before the summer. My wife kept saying, well, why don't you just, what, just take your time. Just do them in the fall. And I'm like, no, we, we don't know what's going to happen in the fall. I want to do it now while I can. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of the way my, my brain thinks. That is not a bad way for the brain to think. You see, like, <laughs> your industry, like the, the athletes that you surround yourself with, they think the same way you do for the most part, I think. Oh, yeah, like, for sure. You, you think people in the business world think the same way you do? Because I, I, I imagine all these principles are carrying over. Um, I, think, I think business owners probably think the way I do. I don't have much day-to-day interaction with other business owners because my company just works with a business and you know a huge corporation an airline not the owners i think so i think they think i'm a little crazy and impatient to do it now because most nine to fivers don't have that urgency do you know what i mean right right yeah so do you see yourself living with a sense of urgency oh yes of course always yeah, there's always a plan. There's always something next. We got it. We got to get it done. It's definitely not not put it off. Put it off later. What I can work on now. Um, when I work with marathon runners and, and we're coaching them, I always talk to them about like the training. You know, the the race is the destination, right? But I said the most important thing is the journey to get to the destination. Right. Because you could roll in. How many races have you rolled into where it's just crap ass conditions that day? And there's, you know, you see people with no shots for PRs and things like that. Yeah. Oh, more than I can count. Right. But then I think back, like, the training part, when you're with your friends and you're with your training mates, you know, that you're going through the crud and yeah. the crap to get there. And then, like, the race is the race. And when the <clears> race is over, like, for me and I think for you, like, all right, what's next? Yeah, oh, yeah. There's not much time to really sit around and celebrate. Sure, you enjoy it in the short term, but my brain almost immediately goes to what's next. And yeah, as far as the training goes, obviously that's the most important part. I'm a little bit different. You know, it's funny. I always said, because the, the normal saying is, you know, it's not the, it's not the destination. It's the journey that counts. I say the same thing as long as you make the destination. <laughs> I, I, I put a little more emphasis on finishing to, to me. I'm crazy obsessed with finishing and not, not giving up. And, you know, if I ever either say I may not make it and people are like, Oh, well, you know, it's, a, it's the journey that matters. And I, I, I tend to say bullshit. It's finishing to me that matters. I'm sorry. But I mean, what you're saying is true. I just, I have a different, a little bit of different mindset. Like how, like when you're out there on some of these events that you've done, and I can't wait to, to list them out. Like how far have you pushed your body? 
in an event? Well, in Ram, I pushed my body one time till I literally passed out uh, biking up a hill. I mean, going super slow where I just teetered over. And then towards the end of the race, when I was so sleep revived, I, I biked until I fell asleep. And I, and I rolled off into a grass field and just toppled over. My feet were still clipped into the, to the pedals. And, and I, I was snoring, passed out when my crew ran up to me. So I pushed myself till I, you know, passed out and fell asleep. Uh, some races I, I pushed, you know, I did a quintuple Ironman, which is five times. I mean, I've done a DECA before, which is 10 times, which is crazier. Oh but during the five times one, I slept for about three hours over four days. And I, my brain was totally fried and I didn't even know who I was. And so, um, you know, sleep deprivation pushing just till I pushed myself till I've totally hallucinated and didn't know who and where I was. That's which is crazy, but it's the, it's the truth. But you know what? That's the stuff that makes you come alive, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it sure makes you see some things. Yeah. But lots of people, when they, if they got to the point of half of that pain or, or whatever, they pull the plug because so many people just don't think they can recover from that. Or if they've, they're feeling things that if it's the first time they ever felt that way, you know, you're, they're scared. They don't know their body's never felt that way and they're not sure what's going to happen. So a lot of people don't push past that wall or, or past the third wall. But I, I think it's, you got to just keep pushing until you, you can't do it. Right. I, 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 a hundred percent. Right. I don't know. Like if you buy into the Goggins theory, was it like 60, 40 or 40, 60? Like when you, hit yeah, the something wall, like that. I love when that you guy. hit the wall. There's some, there's some percentage in there, you know, and I, I believe that to be true. Like the human body is a lot tougher than what, <clears throat> what you give it credit for. Like, Oh my Lord. Yeah. And until you push it and find out exactly what you're capable of. Um, yeah. You're, you're missing out. And so like when oh, I, work, yeah, I, how about the, the saying that the quote at Leadville, you, you must've heard it when the guy stands up there and says, you are stronger than you think you are and you can go further than you think you can. That's right. what the race director says before at, at every pre-race meeting of Leadville. And if, I mean, if that isn't the most true words I've ever heard. Right. And to this day, like I said, I failed out there. And to this day, it's going to drive me nuts until I can get out there and redeem myself because I was, you know, young and dumb. And I thought like I could just roll out there and do it because it's no big deal. And uh, it, it's a humbling experience. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully you'll get back out there. Oh, someday I will. Um, but I also think like whether you're on one of the like dumb of the marathon, I'm sitting there all sore and ultra or triathlon or whatever. I love it when the switch flips to the next thing. You know, I, I love the ability to push our bodies to that level, but then get ready to get going again for the next thing. And so, yeah, I don't know if you experience it, but when I, when I do something big or not even big, even a marathon, if I have something coming up, you know, you have that post race high where you're just really in, soaking in the accomplishment. But then when that fades away, you get in that little kind of post race blues. If you don't have something else that you're looking forward to or, or that you get to work towards, you kind of just feel like you're treading water. And I, and I hate that feeling where, you know, you don't really know what to do next. So I always try to have something lined up. No, I'm like, I, I'm so big on like the next day. I'm probably trying, if I, if I have a problem or something, I cannot not do anything. Like it's right. Just, it's just impossible to take downtime. So like the day after a marathon, maybe take a day off, walk around, see the town. But then after that, 
It's time to get ready for something else. Yep, I'm with you. Um, all right, really quick, let's wind this up. I apologize for our snafu at the beginning, but really quick, just a couple of things. When you're out training, do you have a group back here or back where you live that you train with? No, I almost exclusively run by myself. Headphones, yes or no? Uh, half the time. Music, music or podcasts? Both. All right, let's talk your music taste. What do you listen to? Oh, God, that's a hell of a question. I, I listen to everything and anything. You know, I've gotten into um, somehow I stumbled into country a few years ago, like, and I'm really like, kind of like bro country or real country. No, like like pop country, like modern country, and probably not real country. Um, but I, I'm into that now, so I've got like a country playlist. But I can't even like rattle off artists and songs. You know, I hear them on on the radio, and I shazam it, and I get it, and I play it. How about your favorite band of all time? Oh, man, that's another tough one. I don't know, maybe Journey. Oh, yeah, the Steve Perry action. Yeah. Not, not the new guy or anything like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Golf game. What's your handicap? Well, I just started playing again after like 20 years off. I don't know, maybe um, 16, I think. Oh, you can, you can, you can hit the sticks then. I'm, I'm picking it up again pretty quick. How do you find time to golf? That's the only problem with golf. And cycling. It just takes, well, too long. It takes too long to yeah. get a cycling workout. And It does. And that's funny you said that because I, 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 well, I just started playing a few months ago. And now that I've been playing at home, I don't play 18 because I don't have time. I've been playing nine. That's even better. Yeah, because I just don't have four hours. Oh, man. I mean, there's no way. So I can get two. All right. Running shoes. What do you wear? The Nike Next Percent. Fantastic. Now, out in Virginia, out by D.C. or Virginia, what's the winter like? Is it is it miserable it's, or is it pretty temperate? I don't. I don't. I'm, um, it's not. I mean, not. I'm not going to say compared to Nebraska. You know, it's cold, but it's not. It's not miserable. I mean, we had a cold spell before I went to South Pole. It was like you know single digits for a day or two. It made big news, but today it was like 50. So you know, it goes up and down. Very very little snow anymore. All right. Now, the other thing I like uh, that I admire about you is you're passionate about your university, right? Yes, WVU. The best football player from West Virginia. Oh, man. That's a, that's a tough one. Um, who would I say is the Thanks, best? Frank, I did my homework before we did this. <laughs> man, you did. You caught me off guard with that one. Well, I like people, I like people like, like, I like it when people are passionate about their colleges. 